Welcome to Keeping Fit with Stories. Today's story is going to take you 3,000 steps closer to your target. So, deep breath. And let's begin. You know how if you were to walk into any government office anywhere around the world, there's always a framed photo of a national leader? Well, if you were to walk into any brothel in Mumbai, you would find in every room a framed photo of a woman. Not a particularly attractive woman, elderly, grey-haired, wearing a white sari with a gold border. No, she's not a saint. This was Gangubai one of the most powerful madams in her time. Gangubai had been sold into the sex trade at the age of 16 and she had stayed in that world all her life. But from her position as madam, she had worked to help and protect the other sex workers and ended up becoming a bit of a heroine for the sex workers of Kamatipura, the red light area of Mumbai. The story of Gangubai has just been made into a film by Sanjay Leela Bansali, starring Alia Bhatt in the main role, and it will be released in July. So, before you go off to watch the film, here's a little teaser on the life of a most unusual woman. Our story today has been scripted by broadcaster and journalist Yasser Osman, from research by author and journalist Hussein Zedi. Our story today begins in the 1940s when Gangubai, or rather Ganga Harjivandas Katyavari, which was her name at the time, was still just a young, impressionable 16-year-old living in the village of Katyavar in Gujarat. Her father was an influential lawyer and a very strict man, and he was determined that Ganga should be very carefully educated. Ganga's heart, however, was not in her education. She wanted to be an actress. She wanted to be a star of the silver screen. She wanted Mumbai and bright lights and fame and fortune. Now, it's a dream that many young girls dream and it passes in time. And with Ganga as well, it would have passed and she would have settled down to a suitably respectable life laid out for her. But fate had had other plans for Ganga. And these plans had come in the shape of her father's new accountant, Ramnik Lal. Ramnik was 28 years old. He was good looking. He was sophisticated. He was a man of the world. The stuff of every young girl's dreams. And young Ganga had immediately fallen head over heels in love with him. And to her great delight, it seemed that he was in love with her as well. It was all very exciting. The two young lovers would meet in the orchard just outside the village and with every meeting they were getting bolder and bolder till finally one day Ramnik had suggested that they should run away together and get married. Now Ganga wasn't convinced. She might have been head over heels in love with him and ready to meet in secret outside the village but eloping was just a step too far. Ramnik, however, had known exactly how to convince her. He'd known exactly what buttons to press. He had told her that if she agreed to run away with him, he would take her to Mumbai and that he had a couple of contacts in the film industry so he could get her a role in a film as well. For Ganga, that had sealed the deal. To be with the man that she loved, to be in Mumbai, and to be a part of all the glitz and the glamour of Bollywood, I mean, 
What more could you want out of life, right? That night, Ganga had gone home and packed. She'd taken a few clothes, a little bit of money, and whatever jewellery of her mother's that she could get hold of. Actually, it was Ramnik who had insisted on this. Ganga hadn't wanted to steal from her parents, but as he had said, you have to be practical. In a big city, there are big expenses. There's food, you need somewhere to stay. You can't be sleeping on the street after all. So she would just have to take whatever she could get hold of. But don't think of it as stealing, he had said to her. Think of it as a loan. As soon as you're a big film star, you can come and return the money to your parents. And so Ganga had agreed, but she had known even at that point that she would never be returning to Katyavar. Not to give back the money, not to visit either. Because in families like hers, girls who ran away from home, and that too with a man, brought dishonor on everyone and were as good as dead to the family. Ganga had left with a heavy heart. It had been an emotional couple of days. She had cried. She'd almost run back home. But exactly two days later, Ganga and Ramnik had arrived in Mumbai and as though by magic, all the regrets and the fears and the doubts had been wiped clean out of her brain because Mumbai was like the enchanted land. The hustle and the bustle, the sounds, the people, the carts, the rickshaws. It was utterly wonderful and it was all hers. This was her new life. And truly, the next few days were as close to perfect as they could get. Ganga and Ramnik had gone sightseeing. They'd walked hand in hand on the beach, just as she had seen couples do in the films. They had eaten at roadside stalls, using the money that she had stolen from her parents' home. But Ganga was blissfully happy. Katyavar was already a distant memory. She knew she had done the right thing. This is where she was meant to be, with the man she loved and who loved her equally. Just a few days later, however, Ramnik had dropped the bombshell. The guest house was getting too expensive for them and he would have to go and look for a room to rent. But it might take a few days, so in the meantime, she would have to go and stay with his aunt. Ganga had not liked the sound of this. She didn't want to leave him and also, who was this aunt anyway? Ramnik had always said that he didn't have any family in Mumbai, so who was this aunt and where had she suddenly cropped up from? Ganga had argued and fought. And then the aunt had arrived, Sheila Masi, as Ramnik called her, and Ganga had fought even harder because this woman just didn't look right. Even to the innocent eyes of a naive young girl from the village in Katyavar, this woman just didn't look right. And Ganga did not want to be sent off with her. But once again, Ramnik had managed to convince her. You'll be fine, he had said. It's just for a few days, he had said. I'm trying to look for a home for the two of us, he had said. And then he had packed her off, arguing and fighting with Sheila Masi into a waiting taxi and watched as she had driven away. By now, you've probably figured out that Sheila Masi was not Ramnik's aunt or anyone's aunt for that matter, but rather a brothel madam. Ramnik had sold his trusting 16-year-old bride into prostitution for the princely sum of 500 rupees, 5 pounds. Sheila had taken Ganga to her kota, to her brothel in Kamatipura, Mumbai's red light district. 
Ganga had fought tooth and nail. She had screamed, she had cried, she had tried to run away, she had tried to kill herself. She had even tried to kill the very first man who had been sent to her. But all she had got for her troubles were beatings. Sheila had beaten her black and blue every time. These vicious beatings are very common in the sex trade. They're seen as the most effective way to sort the girls out. And so it had been for Ganga. Day after day, night after night, beatings and starvation. It had taken Ganga weeks to settle down. She couldn't accept that Ramnik, the man that she had loved so much, the man for whom she had given up her whole family, could have done this to her. But you know what I find even more sad? Is that she never once thought of turning to her own family for help. She knew without anyone ever telling her that they would never accept her back, that she was dead to them. But Ramnik she kept waiting for, hoping that he would come back and rescue her. She had had more faith in the bastard who had sold her into prostitution than her own flesh and blood. Ganga had fought tooth and nail for as long as she could, but eventually after a few weeks of being starved and beaten, it had sunk in. There was no escape. This was her life now. And so one morning, Ganga had picked herself up and decided to accept her new life. She had already been violated in so many ways. What was one more part of her? Sheila, as you can imagine, was delighted. So delighted that she had even got Mithai, sweets, to welcome Ganga into the fold. And then she had immediately set about organizing Ganga's Nat Utarna ceremony. Okay, time for a quick breather as I tell you about the Nat Utarna ceremony. Literally translated, it means to remove a woman's nose ring. Metaphorically, it marks the losing of virginity. In the sex trade in particular, this has been a very long-standing tradition. It's been done for years and it is still done today where the first client of the girl gets to relieve her of her virginity and he pays a great deal more for this privilege because unfortunately we have this centuries-old obsession with virgins. Okay, all stretched, all done and five Four, three, two, one. We're back to the story. Ganga had decided to accept her situation. She couldn't escape and it was better than being beaten and starved. And so she changed her name from Ganga to Gangubai because, well, you may as well remove all trace of the past, right? And she had accepted her formal Nat Utarna ceremony, her formal deflowering ceremony. Now, the thing is that Ganga, or rather Gangubai, wasn't a virgin. She and Ramnik had been lovers, but he had lied about this to Sheila. And Ganga herself had had no idea about the rules of the sex trade, so she hadn't said anything either. But her client had not noticed. On the contrary, he had been so pleased with her in bed that not only had he paid the higher virgin fee, but he had tipped her handsomely as well, as well as giving her a gold ring from his own finger as a personal present to her. And from that day, Gangubai had not looked back. She was not exactly what you might call a pretty girl, but there was something about her and apparently she was absolutely brilliant in bed. And so in no time at all, her reputation had spread so far and wide that wealthy businessmen from across India 
had become her regular clients. They would actually travel to Mumbai from across the country just to spend the night with her. And Ganga had known exactly how to keep each one happy and satisfied. In return, they had showered her with money and gifts. Things were good. Destiny, however, has a way of screwing things up. And once again, Destiny had arrived in the shape of yet another man called Shokat Khan. Shokat Khan had heard about this woman who was supposed to be so brilliant in bed and he had decided to find out for himself exactly what all the fuss was about. And so one day he had strolled into the brothel and he had subjected Gangu to a level of violence that she had never dreamed possible. Shokat got his kicks from brutalizing women in bed and he had raped her, he had beaten her, he had slashed her with a knife so badly that she couldn't get out of bed for a week. And then, having done all this, he had simply strolled back out again. He was a member of one of the most vicious gangs in the area and he himself was a really big man. So no one had dared to even try and stop him. You know, Sheila had wept at the sight of Gangu at what Shokat had done to her. It was so bad. And she had promised that she would never let this happen again. But Shokat Khan had returned. And this time, the violence had been so bad that Gangu had had to be hospitalized for several months after this particular visit. And she would carry the scars of the attack for the rest of her life. And where had Sheila been through all this? The same Sheila who had promised that she would never let this happen again? Sheila had stood outside Gangu's door through it all, listening to the girl screaming on the inside, sobbing loudly outside the door, but too afraid to actually do anything about it. And so the brutalization of Gangu Bai had happened uninterrupted at Shokat's leisure. You know, Gangu had been furious, furious with Sheila, with Shokat Khan, with her own helplessness, with the system that made it possible for someone to treat a woman in this fashion and get away with it. And the worst thing was, she knew that it would happen again because, well, who was going to stop the man? And so Gangu had decided to do something about this for herself. Gangu had discovered that Shokat Khan was part of Karim Lala's gang. Karim Lala or Abdul Karim Khan was one of the biggest dons of the Mumbai underworld. And although he was known for being quite violent, rumor also had it that he was very respectful towards women. And so Gangu decided to go and see him for herself. If anyone had a chance of controlling Shokat Khan, it was his boss Karim Lala. So one Friday afternoon, as Karim Lala had walked home from Friday prayers, Gangubai had stopped him on the street and said that she needed his help. Karim Lala had ignored her. He could tell from the way she was dressed that she was a sex worker and he had no desire to be seen talking to a sex worker. But Gangu wasn't about to give up. She had stopped him yet again and she'd said, I need to talk to you. It's about one of your men. Now, this had got his attention. He wanted to hear more, but still not here in the street where he could be seen speaking to her. He had told Gangu to follow him to his house where he could speak to her in private. 
But having said that, he had gone out of his way to make her feel as uncomfortable as possible because, well, she was a sex worker and in his eyes, she did not deserve either his time or his respect. Gangu, however, was not easily intimidated. Life had taught her to stand up for herself. And so she had looked him square in the eyes and she told him that his man, Shokat Khan, had beaten her. Karim Lala had been unimpressed. He was not interested in the domestic problems of sex workers. Gangu told him that Shokat had raped her. Karim Lala had looked even less impressed. Here was a prostitute from Kamatipura talking about rape. Gangu wasn't about to back down, however. She had seen this expression in people's faces many times before. And so once again, she had faced him squarely and she had told him in very graphic terms the difference between paid sex and rape. And then she had showed him her scars, courtesy of Shokat Khan. And you know, Possibly for the first time in his life, Karim Lala had bowed his head in shame. He had been horrified at the injuries, at the cruelty inflicted on this woman and that too by a man from his community. With what looked suspiciously like tears in his eyes, he had turned away telling Gangu not to worry that he would deal with this man personally. But before he could walk away, the incorrigible Gangu had quickly stepped forward and in total Bollywood style, taking a thread from the corner of her sari, she had tied it onto his wrist as a rakhi. A rakhi is a traditional Indian bond of protection between brother and sister because, as she said, only a brother would stand up like this for a woman in her circumstances. Once again, Karim Lala had been completely taken aback at her impudence, but by now he was starting to respect this woman's courage and resilience. And so this time, he had simply smiled and accepted this new relationship. Yes, he would be a brother to her, and yes, he would stand by her and protect her. You know, we always think that this sort of thing only happens in Bollywood films where the most powerful gangland boss and an ordinary sex worker become brother and sister on the basis of a random thread tied around the wrist. But Gangu is living proof that it happens in real life too. Because honestly, with that one thread, Gangu had acquired the protection of the most powerful gang of the Mumbai underworld. Not just to deal with Shokat Khan, but in life generally. If life is a tapestry, then this one thread was about to change Gangu's life forever. Meanwhile, back in Kamatipura, Karim Lala had planted a man outside Gangu's brothel with strict instructions that he was to be informed personally the moment Shokat arrived. It was three weeks before Shokat Khan had showed up again. He had come in drunk and even more vicious and cruel than before if that was possible. But this time Gangu wasn't afraid. She knew that this would be the last time that she would have to deal with this piece of human garbage. Shokat had, as usual, started by slapping her around a few times. Gangu had kept quiet. She had not fought back, but she had prayed really hard that it would not take Karim Lala too long to get there. And sure enough, within a few moments, there was a banging on her bedroom door. 
Now, Shokat, thinking that this was one of Gangu's tricks to try and stop him, he had pushed her to the floor, kicked her one more time, and then gone to open the door because he was going to beat up whoever was on the other side of it. But on the other side had been his boss, Kareem Lala, and a couple of other men from the gang with hockey sticks in their hands and very grim expressions on their faces. Between them, they had dragged Shaukat Khan out onto the street in full view of everyone and they had beaten him mercilessly till most of the bones in his body were broken and then warning him against ever touching another woman again. They had left him there in the middle of the road, bleeding and half dead, to deal with himself. If he lived, he lived. If he died, he died. No one really cared. But this incident had ensured Gangu's position for the rest of her life. That Kareem Lala, the most feared gangster of the Mumbai underworld, was prepared to put himself and the strength of his entire gang behind her, gave her the sort of power that most people can only dream of. No one could mess with her anymore. Not Sheila, not the people of Kamatipura, not even her clients, those really wealthy businessmen who would travel across the country to spend the night with her. Even they had become just a little bit afraid of Gangu Bai. Under Kareem Lala's guidance, Gangu learned how to play the power game. What contacts to develop in the underworld, who to approach in local police stations, who to get to know within government circles, learn who to bribe and who to threaten, really learn to understand the right time for the next step. And the next step, in her case, was politics. Gangubai had decided to stand for the local Gharwali elections. Okay, we're taking a quick break as I explain this thing called the Gharwali elections. Now, the word Gharwali actually means wife, but the brothel keepers or madams within the sex trade are also known as Gharwalis. The position of the madam is an elected one. It's a position of real power, but you have to win it to get it. And the campaign for it is as dirty and aggressive as any other election campaign. And within the Gharwalis also, there is a hierarchy. So the first level of Gharwalis will control 10 pinjras or 10 beds. The next Gharwali controls 20, then 30 and so on. And gradually you move upwards till you become the Badi Gharwali or the senior madam who runs the entire brothel. Okay, stretch done. And five, four, three, two, one. We're walking again. So, Gangubai stands for the Gharwali elections and she wins them. The first level, the second level, the third level and so on, all the way to the Badi Gharwali position, the brothel madam. And then beyond that, to the senior most madam, where she had become head of all the brothels in the Kamatipura area. It was a very powerful position and one that she had held for 16 years till her death. And they say that the first thing that she had done on being elected was to try and change things for the women trapped in the sex trade. They weren't just election promises. She had actually done it. So, for instance, she had set up a system of reviewing cases of girls who were sold into the sex trade. And if the case was genuine, she would permit them to leave. It was unheard of, a girl being allowed to leave voluntarily without being harmed. But she had actually put that into place. 
She had also guaranteed the girl's protection against men like Shaukat Khan. And I know that she could only do this because of her connection with Kareem Lala. But the point is, she had used her power to help the sex workers rather than intimidating them further. And actually, it was these reforms that had put her on the national stage. So how this had happened was that Gangubai was invited to address a conference in support of the girl child and women's empowerment, which may sound a little bit weird because, well, women's empowerment on the one hand and brothel madam on the other, but a group of society ladies had started a charity to promote literacy among sex workers and Gangu had been asked to come and speak about her work with the sex workers. But as Gangu had climbed the steps to the stage, the crowd had suddenly turned really hostile. They might have invited her to come and speak to them, but the idea of actually sitting there listening to a brothel madam, it was just very distasteful. They were murmuring, they were squirming in their seats, and poor Gangu had almost died of nervousness. But then a real anger had filled her. How dare they? No one here had ever done her any favors, so why should she be afraid of them? And so Gangu had chucked her speech right out of the window. She had been given this very carefully prepared speech with all the right things to say. She had literally chucked it out of the window and decided to give everybody in this audience a piece of her mind. And so facing the people sitting in front of her, Gangu had raised her head and said, yes, I am a gharwali, I am a brothel madam, but I am not a ghar tornevali, I am not a home wrecker. You all look at women like me in disgust. You think that we are a stigma on society, on womenhood. But it is women like us who have saved the honor of women like you. At her opening lines, that whole squirming, murmuring audience had suddenly been stunned into complete silence. But Gangu hadn't even noticed. She had been waiting a long time to get this off her chest, to set the record straight, and by God, she was going to do it. Gangu had continued, The streets of Mumbai are far safer than any other city in India. Hardly ever will you hear of a woman being sexually assaulted on the streets of Mumbai. And do you know why? I will tell you why. It is because of the women of Kamatipura. We are in the front line of the dissatisfied male lust. All those men with their pent-up frustrations, their sexual needs, their suppressed violence. It is we who cater to it. We who blunt the edge of their sexual violence. And because of us, you are saved. You might think we enjoy it. Believe me, we don't. And believe me when I say it is not easy either. Most of us have been sold into prostitution. We have been beaten black and blue till we agreed. Our families have turned their backs on us. We have no other choice. But it is because of us that the rest of the women in society are safer. We are not the dirt of society. We are your protectors. Because the day that we shut shop, you will be the next target of all the sexual abuse that we face every day. Just like the Javans, the soldiers who fight on the front line to keep you safe, we too fight battles every day to keep you safe. And yet, the Javans are given national honors and we, we are insulted and treated like filth. Why? 
You know, this conference was being held in a huge outdoor stadium, but as Gangubai talked, you could have heard a pin drop. The audience was hypnotized. Gangubai hadn't even noticed. She had just continued. I'll tell you why. You are all responsible for the way that sex workers are treated in society. You have made that distinction. And the day that you can treat us with respect as equals, that is the day I will believe that women have truly been empowered. We need a government-sanctioned prostitution belt in each city with government protection because that is the only way to keep all women in the city safe. Because... We all deserve to be safe. The women of high society like yourselves, as well as the women of the sex trade like me. Needless to say, Gangubai had won the day. The crowd was on their feet, cheering like they had never cheered for a woman before. Overnight, Gangu had become a national hero, fighting to decriminalize prostitution, fighting for the rights of sex workers. Her speech had been reported in the local press. It was reported in the national press. She had journalists on her doorstep day and night. She even had ministers waiting in line to see her. And even the prime minister had asked for an audience with Gangu Bai. Pandit Nehru, who was the then Prime Minister of India, had granted Gangubai a private audience at his residence, something that no other sex worker in the history of India has managed to do. And although no one really knows what was said during this meeting, it was a private meeting after all, but the story goes that Pandit Nehru had been so impressed with her confidence and her intelligence that he had said to her, why do you do this work? Why don't you give it up and find something better to do? To which Gangu had replied and said, Well, if you are prepared to marry me, Panditji, I will give this up today itself. Pandit Nehru had not been amused at all and he had told her off very sharply for her insolence. But Gangubai had merely smiled and said, Yes, words are cheap. Everyone is always ready to lecture us on what we should do, but no one really wants to get their hands dirty. No one really wants to open any doors for us. Either do something and make life better for us, Panditji, or don't give us empty lectures. As I said, I couldn't swear to it, but this is the story that is popularly told, and I have to admit, I like the story. Another really popular story of hers, but this is a recorded story, it's a true one is of when she had stopped the eviction of the sex workers from Kamatipura. So there was a girls' school called St. Anthony's, which was built right on the fringe of the red light belt. It was so close that you could actually see into the courthouse, you could see into the brothels from the upstairs classrooms, and the school authorities wanted that part of the red light area closed. And they did have a very strong case because, according to the Indian constitution, you cannot have any kind of sex trade within 200 yards of an educational establishment. When Gangu heard, she had been furious. This was so typical. It was always the sex workers, the women who already had nothing, who had to be displaced each time. The red light belt had already been there when the school was built. Had the school authorities been blind when they purchased the land? No, it was just that they had got it really cheap because of the red light area and the developers had assured them that evicting the brothels would not be any problem at all. 
but I guess they hadn't counted on Gangubai stepping into the battle and she had had the political connections to get the case dismissed. You can see why she was a heroine to her community. Now, weirdly, we don't have a lot of information about her old age. And that is really strange because when you consider she was the Badi Gharwali, the brothel madam for all of the brothels in Mumbai's red light area for 16 whole years, all the way till she died. Plus, we know that she had adopted several children who had all lived with her in her tiny little room in the Kota in the brothel. And yet, no one even knows exactly how old she was when she died. Even the year of her death is uncertain. They say it's anywhere between 1975 and 1978. Most people simply remember that she had a real passion for gold. Her white saris always had a gold border to them. She wore lots of gold jewelry. Her specs were gold rimmed. She even had a gold tooth. And they remember that she owned a Bentley, a big black Bentley, because she was the only sex worker at the time to have one. And no one quite knows just how she came into so much money, which also makes one realize that there must have been a darker side to her as well. She was, after all, a brothel madam, making her living from the thousands of women that she controlled, women who sold their bodies to furnish her bank balance. It cannot all have been sweetness and light. And yet, there are no negative stories about her. She was loved then, and it seems she is still loved now because in Kamatipura, Gangubai still lives on. In every pinjara, in every room, in every kotha, there is a framed photo of Gangubai. And in the life of every sex worker, she is the figure of strength and possibilities in an otherwise impossible world. And for me, that's what makes her a woman worth knowing.